Hey everyone, and welcome to a podcast by Buffalo Occupational Therapy for student and OT practitioners looking to bridge the gap between what you were taught in school and real-world OT practice. We are all about using our full scope of practice and understand that OT is so much more than ADLs. We are a medical science, we are a social science, and we are the cutting-edge next generation of OT practitioners. Welcome to Rethink OT. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rethink OT. I'm Michelle Eliason. I am your host, and I am bringing you information today for occupational therapy students. I want to give you some advice. The advice I wish I had received before beginning down my journey into the occupational therapy profession. So first off, I want to welcome you on your journey if you are a new student, and I want to encourage students who are already well into their programs, I want to encourage you guys to finish strong. It is never too early to ignite your passion as a student of occupational therapy so that you are a very passionate driven occupational therapy clinician after you pass your certification exam. All right, let's get into the information today. Again, I am bringing you advice for occupational therapy students, and I want to assure you that this is not going to be a venting session, although I do want to set the stage for this conversation. In order for me to really set the stage for this information, it is important to me that all occupational therapy students in or around the year 2022 knows what they're walking into as far as a profession. When it comes to occupational therapy, the temperature in the room right now is a little chilly. We are working to change that. Uh, We are working to encourage more clinicians to practice within their full scope of practice and be confident doing so. Some other things that your, your schools may or may not tell you is employment is down, salaries are down, occupational therapy practitioners all over the United States are being hired as part CNAs or certified nursing assistants to help with self-care, to unburden nursing, and parts occupational therapy practitioners. We're pulling double duty here. There's this misconception systemically that occupational therapy practitioners just do ADLs and that is absolutely not what we do but that is for another blog and podcast episode. Some other things that you may or may not know is that whole systems, whole hospital systems are employing two to three full-time occupational therapists certainly outweighed um, by physical therapy Outpatient clinics employ one to two occupational therapy practitioners to every 10 to 20 physical therapy practitioners, and people generally don't know what we do or why they need um, they need to come to us. They don't know why we would need to go to university for years to develop the skills that we bring to the table, and really, it's just the lack of advocacy on the public 
level. So the day-to-day -day people. So that's the temperature in the room. I don't want to discourage you, but I do want you to use this to boost your drive to be the best student of occupational therapy you can be so that you can become a very strong leader in the occupational therapy profession. Because right now, you do need to stand up for yourself. You do need to be able to advocate your scope of practice. You do need to be able to advocate your lens when it comes to the interventions that you're choosing because people just widely do not understand what we do. Okay, so what is the solution? <laughs> this is the bottom line of the entire episode. The solution is you. The solution to all of these problems that I had mentioned is the next generation of occupational therapy practitioners. We need to begin doing better from the very conception of new OT practitioners. So semester one, it's on, right? Semester one, we are purposing ourselves to be better than the generation of occupational therapy practitioners before us. The solution is a universal collective student body that agrees to outdo, outlearn, out-advocate and outperform their teachers and the practitioners who came before them. From the current circumstances, we find ourselves very clearly in a need for course correction. So that brings us to what would be my top advice for occupational therapy students. I'm going to go over five pieces of advice for you today. The first is the importance of joining the OT conversation in the clinical realm immediately, even while you're still a student. The second is to read the ACOAT standards and get familiar with them. The third, read your textbooks and begin actually trying to understand and integrate all of your courses from day one, from semester one, even if you're not taking strictly occupational therapy courses, every single course that you take is a building block, which we're going to talk about today. Number four, create systems, structure, and organization from day one. And number five, develop effective study habits. Please do make sure that if you are listening to this podcast episode, that you take time to go to the website, the blog article. In that blog article, there's a transcript of this episode, as well as links throughout the blog article, allowing you to benefit more from this information. So the first point, join the OT conversation in the clinical realm immediately. Get plugged into social accounts, Facebook groups, Instagram accounts, Twitter, really any outlet that has Instagram or that has OT conversations, get plugged in. Always have your finger on the pulse of what is actually happening in your profession. Many professors are academics and have fallen out of touch with what is actually happening in the clinical space. You need to protect yourself from the shell shock of graduating into a profession you weren't necessarily prepared to enter. 
It's better to understand what is actually going on so that you are immediately prepared to join the conversation and you've already developed a strong voice to explain your value in a world that questions it. Take it from experience. This is so important. Get plugged in. Secondly, Although we may have our qualms about these big organizations, joining AOTA and following the latest news bulletins of the profession help you to know how to exist and thrive in this current model of practice that we find ourselves. Knowing this information and being part of these organizations is so important and it's because of these these reasons that that drives my recommendation to to please do stay a member of AOTA. They are still your governing body in the United States, and we all have room to grow. Uh, AOTA is constantly evolving, and they are advocating. We may not see it um, immediately, but they are doing their jobs for us. Another sidebar conversation about joining about joining the discussion. Begin building your lexicon immediately. Replace your common words with medical words. Always use medical terminology for everything. I'm talking about as soon as you begin to learn this information, start changing the the way you communicate. It may annoy the heck out of people. I remember my family members would constantly say, Michelle, I don't know what you're saying. Or my friends would say, that sounds really cool, but can you explain it in a way I understand? And that's fine. In fact, that helped me perfect the ability to speak in medical terminology and develop my lexicon for the medical community. But it also helped me to learn how to communicate the same medi- the, the same message based on the health literacy of the individual I'm communicating with. Both of these skills need to be developed. Both of them take years to develop. You're going to want to to begin this immediately. Think about learning a second language. A lot of us take a second language in high school. Many of us who may have had a secondary college degree have been required to take a second language for four semesters um, at a collegiate level. It takes a really long time to learn a language. Start now. Start now so that you get comfortable with all of these medical terminologies and the context in which you use them. All right. The second point, read the ACOAT standards listed at the front of your course syllabi and know the difference between what the school interprets as meeting this requirement and what ACOAT actually requires. The two are different. I say this with grace for every single program, and we'll get into this, but I just want to reiterate, the first point that we went over today is the importance of beginning to change the way you communicate immediately and begin to join the OT conversation in the clinical realm immediately. The second point I want to drive home or the second piece of advice I have for occupational therapy students is to read the ACOAT standards and I linked this in the blog. 
every school interprets ACOAT standards differently. They go through an incredibly rigorous process with accreditations, and I don't envy them for that. They must ensure that all of these standards are addressed and documented. So they are doing the best they can, but this also implies that there is room for grace on your behalf. These programs do need to be open to speaking to you about their reasoning for interpreting the, the standard the way they are interpreting it. If you've had an issue with the course requirement or the way the course is structured, please do review the ACOAT standards. We are required as professors to put the ACOAT standard that we're addressing within the course and how we're addressing these standards in our syllabi, and that's why that's included. So please do read that and seek out solutions. Don't assume that ACOAT has explicitly told them what requirements to include in a given course. I'm thinking specifically regarding fieldwork and the requirement to take classes while in active fieldwork. This is a very sore subject for me. I it's a little touchy, right? Uh, I don't think it's it's healthy for schools to require students to take one to two courses with actual substantial expectations during essentially completing a full-time job. You're learning a craft and some schools don't have any classes to be taken. They just check in with their clinical advisor and then other schools just completely saturate the student with academic requirements on top of fieldwork requirements, and that just simply is not congruent with ACOAT standards. So that's a whole other conversation, but that's just an example. Please do have a conversation if you're questioning why your school has designed the curriculum the way it has designed it. So I just want to be clear, I am not telling you to be combative or ornery as a student. I am, however, recommending that you be an active participant in your education. You are paying a great deal of money for your education, so don't blindly just go through your program trusting things to be fact that may not be, okay? All right, moving on to our third piece of advice. Third piece of advice is to read your textbooks to actually understand the information. You need to know what your classes are communicating and how it applies to you as a clinician. A lot of courses will not take the time to help you integrate that information and it's up to you to make the connections outside of class. So let's further explore this idea. Hey guys, I just want to interrupt real quick. I want to take a minute to remind you to head to our website for OT treatment ideas, any PDFs we reference in this podcast, and a ton of OT science rationale for your documentation. Be the therapist your clients ask for instead of just the therapist they feel they can do without. Head to the bot portal and OT store at www.buffalooccupationaltherapy.com. And don't forget to find us on social media in our Facebook group at Outpatient OT or on Insta at OT underscore Outpatient. Now back to the show. 
from a professor's perspective, I don't understand why students don't read the text. There's so much to learn that your professor simply does not have the time to teach you. Most of the information that you're learning is brand new. The text will help guide you to better process and reason through this information so that it becomes more familiar. Do not just depend on PowerPoint slides and handouts. Don't depend solely on your professor to teach you. Do supplemental readings and read the required text and always, and I mean always, read and study to understand. Don't just pump the information in in order to dump it out onto your exam. Everything you learn in your program is meant to be a continuum of learning. It builds off of each other. The biomedical classes do, in fact, connect with your occupational therapy classes, even if your professor doesn't help you make this connection. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with a lot of you through direct messaging or email or those of you who are part of our mentorship program, um, those of you that are part of our clinical conversation groups. I can't tell you how many of you have just reiterated the fact that once an individual starts taking specific occupational therapy courses, many professors don't link it back to your biomedical classes like anatomy, kinesiology, physics. Nobody is, is bringing this information back to occupational therapy and showing you how to make sense of it or showing you how it applies to activity analysis. So this does sometimes fall on the student and you do need to be prepared for that. The best recommendation I can make regarding this point is to do your best to learn as much as you can in each class regardless of your professor's ability to teach. You have access to the text. You have access to extra training online, mentorships, student resource sites. Use them. Don't just get through a class. If you quote unquote get through a class, you are setting yourself up to fail when you graduate and need to actually integrate that particular piece of knowledge into your clinical practice. You're only hurting yourself and you're also hurting your patient. Please do respect your future, future patients enough to take your time to learn the course material. Learn as much as you can and always figure out how it integrates with the rest of your classes. Then take it a step forward and envision how you would apply it to specific clinical cases. Before we move on, while we're on the topic of texts and reading your textbooks, please, please, please stop giving away your textbooks and burning your notes or throwing them in the garbage when you graduate. I can't tell you how many times that saving my notes, saving my PowerPoints and saving my textbooks have saved me and gotten me out of a pinch when I'm building clinical plans of care. Please save these materials. They're going to drive your ability to offer excellent clinical interventions throughout your career. At some point, you're going to be in a pinch or in a bind, and you're going to remember that one thing that your teacher touched on and you're going to be able to go right to that part in the textbook. You're going to be able to go right to that part in your notes and just have an information flooding so that you can help your patient. Next piece of advice, 
create systems, structure, and organization from day one. So this piggybacks on the last point, but it still deserves its own attention. Figure out how to save all of your study materials and important stories that your professor is sharing with you. I personally use Google Drive features and I use them for everything. I think Google Drive is pretty timeless and it's easily exported. I also use GoodNotes, which is an app specifically for Apple products. I use this on my iPad, but it links throughout my, my iCloud Drive and it is absolutely incredible. I recommend it 100% and I do not get any kickbacks for saying that. I just think it's an incredible app. My suggestion for being able to keep track of everything is to begin, of course, on day one and track your entire program in one Google Doc. You can use this using the table of contents feature. If you are not familiar with the table of contents feature, please do head to the blog article, give it a click. There's a YouTube video that shows you how to functionally use this and organize huge documents, uh, which of course, if you're putting all of your relevant information into one Google Doc, you're going to want to organize that because that could get out of hand. Hopefully, the links in, um, in and throughout this document that you're creating, hopefully it's going to help save a lot of scattered thinking when you actually are on field work and in the early years of your practice. Begin organizing your thoughts regarding how it all connects to your eventual practice while you're in the class. It will greatly benefit your future self if you just take the time to organize your and pace yourself throughout the program. You just got to trust me on that. Now, if you don't want to create a master resource like the one I'm talking about, you can always use the Google Drive to create different folders for each year, semester, class, topic, etc. I mean, the opportunities for organization are pretty much endless. Creating systems, structures, and organizations will help you to kind of put it all together. As occupational therapy practitioners, we are big picture analysts. Train your brain starting at the beginning to see the big picture while you're working uh, you're working with the small parts kind of to build the big machine. And finally, the last piece of advice I have for you is develop effective study habits. Figure out what kind of learner you are. I do have a link for a quiz in the blog, so go ahead and take a look at that. I think it's very interesting. When I took it, the results were spot on. I'm equal parts of each type of, of learning style. I remember in school, in fact, I still do this with all of the new information that I'm processing, is I would write down everything in class, then I would make note cards, I would move the note cards to outlines. Then I would draw pictures and diagrams. I would talk myself through the information as I walked around, so that kinesthetic learning. And then finally, I would teach an invisible classroom. I would answer hypothetical class uh, questions that I created. As I taught others, I then really solidified 
the information in my own brain. These methods saved me in school. You see, I love college. I love school. I will always be a a lifelong learner. I love learning new information, setting goals, and achieving them. I was not a good student in the fact that it was hard for me. Grades, tests, bringing this information to the teacher the way they they wanted me to learn it was very, very difficult. I am a fantastic, my strength is practice. I can apply all of these concepts in clinical practice. Give me a test and put a test in front of me and it's as if I didn't study a day in my life. And that's just always how it was for me. So while other while other peers were relaxing with their significant others or going out for parties, I was doing triple time with all of these learning styles so that I could make sense of the information. That's the kind of student I was. If you resonate with what I just said, please be encouraged by the fact that you can do this. You can get through this program. You can succeed. And if you struggle in school, that does not mean you will struggle as a clinician. Although you need school to build your skills, you become the practitioner you're going to be when you can actually work with people. Get in there. Process and integrate. Uh, So please, don't get discouraged in school. Just give yourself a chance to, to become the practitioner you want to be. I digress. It's important to understand how you learn so that you can give yourself the best chance of learning and integrating all of the knowledge you'll receive as quickly as possible. I'm telling you, and I don't know if you're catching this pattern, but you need to be the best you can be from day one. Do not wait until year five or year the, the last semester of year two to step up your game. Begin these skills, begin taking these pieces of advice from day one. You'll also continue using these styles, like I said, for the rest of your life. So it's important to know how you can learn. Occupational therapy school is just the beginning. OTPs or occupational therapy practitioners are lifetime learners because we are evidence-based practitioners and it's our job to help improve health literacy in our patients. We have to be able to learn the information first in order to then teach it to our patients. All right, so that really does sum up the pieces of advice that I have for you. I hope this advice helps you. I wish you the best of luck as you begin or continue your journey in an occupational therapy school, please do take one day at a time, one step at a time. Most of all, give yourself and professors grace upon grace. Occupational therapy school is aggressive and intensive. It is straight up hard. If you give yourself a chance, you will witness one of the greatest evolutions of you. We'll talk to you soon.